Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellary. Today, I'd like to introduce you to someone I have just met, Deborah O'Malley from Guess the Test. Deborah is a conversion expert. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation as we talk about optimizing your advertising online and optimizing your website and really how to do a proper A-B test. Enjoy the conversation. Well, good morning, Deborah, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I wonder, um, could we start just a little bit of an overview of, of who you are and what is Guess the Test? Definitely. So my name is Deborah O'Malley. Uh, I founded Guess the Test after starting a career in conversion rate optimization and A-B testing, which actually was prompted from doing a master's degree, a master's of science degree in specialized in eye tracking technology. So I used technology that tracks eye movements to see how people look at advertisements on the screen. And uh, it was a very circuitous route to doing my master's, um, but it really brought me full circle because it brought me back to when I was in grade four and I conducted my first science experiment for school. And other people were looking at, you know, how much soil water absorbs, um, that type of thing. I was interested in looking at how the eye perceives things. And I cut out pieces of cardboard construction paper in different shapes and different sizes and colors. And I posted them on a board and I said, what do you see first? And that was in grade four. So I was about nine years old. And (laughs) that interest had stayed with me ever since. And so when I discovered eye tracking technology, it absolutely felt like exactly the right fit for me. And I just totally gravitated towards it. So I did my master's thesis looking at the way that messages are framed or basically positioned in either a positive or negative way and seeing what uh, works better with message framing and people recalling that message and being able to uh, process it cognitively and later be able to remember it. Um, I also did an independent research project looking at how people respond to um, either text in ads, just text, just images, or a combination of images and text. Because as far as I know, there's no research that's shown that images and text, like what we see in a typical advertisement, actually does work best. So I did some work exploring that and actually found that text-based ads actually work better at capturing attention than ads with images and text. So, Oh, wow. It, do you mean... Um uh, does it matter the the medium that we're talking about? Or? Uh, this was specifically like digital medium on oh, wow. a computer screen. Yeah. So it would need to be also tested in, you know, a print-based setting. But yeah, it really kind of turns the whole theory of advertising on its head a little bit, looking at what actually truly works best. There's certain conventions and principles that are adopted, but they're not always necessarily tested. And so I'm gonna I think it's to, really uh, I'm going to have to dig deep and find that paper that you, did you publish that? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I could share that with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think from that, that really spawned my love for testing things. Um, when I finished my master's, I started with a local user experience company doing some consulting work with them. And as part of my training, 
they said, uh, get on this website, which unfortunately no longer exists, called Witch Test One. And uh, it's a site that looked at A-B testing and conversion rate optimization. I actually ended up later working for Witch Test One and oh. really getting my chops in conversion rate optimization and A-B testing there. Unfortunately, the company no longer exists. And so to fill the gap, I've started guessthetest.com, where you get to take a gamified A-B test, look at the results, see which version you think wins, then look at the real-life results and apply the findings to your own marketing work to optimize your own marketing success. There's also articles and resources for marketers to help them with various aspects of marketing, everything from pricing psychology strategies to uh, Facebook and Google AdWords. So it covers the whole gamut of digital marketing and it's a really applied, uh, tangible um, site that gives you really uh, useful, hopefully, tips to apply to your own marketing work. Well, it's uh, I've only dabbled in it and I did do a few of the guests the tests. It's really fascinating. Can you describe for me what what is A-B testing just for people that may not know what what it what it is? Sure. So A-B testing or also called split testing, that may be a word some people are familiar with, is looking at two different versions of either an ad or a website and comparing with data, which performs better. So I'll use a really simple example that most people will be able to understand. Imagine you have a website with a blue button that can be version A. And imagine you have a website with a red button that is version B. It's remarkable how much difference simply changing the color of a button can make on your website. So let's say that version B performs markedly better, you can measure that through what's called conversions, which is, um, in this case, the number of people that are clicking on your button. And simply changing the button color truly can make a huge impact uh, in the way that people interact with your website and how your website will perform. So that's sort of the simple premise of A-B testing is looking and comparing different elements of your website, whether it's a button, whether it's copy on your website, whether it's an image, and seeing which performs better. The ultimate goal is to increase conversions on your website. So what makes a good A-B test? Uh, There's a couple of elements that make a really good A-B test. So in my opinion, all A-B tests should be what I consider true A-B tests. And what that means is that you're accurately comparing one element against another element. And uh, I say that's important because a lot of times marketers will get caught up in trying to make many changes to their website all at once. (laughs) That's us. (laughs) You're raising your hand. Yeah, no, I'm raising my head because I'm thinking, yep, that's what we always do. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) What that is, is called a radical redesign. And there's nothing inherently bad about a radical redesign, and it does actually have some advantages. So let's go with the advantages first, and then I'll tell you about the bad parts of it. Uh, The advantage is that it's very time and cost effective. You can make a lot of changes to your, let's call it your website, uh, at once, and you can see, did those changes have an effect or not? If they didn't have an effect, however, you're stuck going, well, what happened? What did I change that didn't work? What what did I change that might have worked? You don't know. You're not able to accurately draw out the elements that changed. So a a true A-B test only changes one element at a time. So we'll go back to the button button color example. Let's say you have a red button right now and you go, hmm, I wonder if it could perform better if I made it a blue button. You only change the button color on your website and you look, let's say click-through rates on the button if 
changing the color did indeed impact the click-through rate. That is a true A-B test. You're only changing one element at a time. And by doing that, you're able to accurately draw out exactly what is happening on your website through making that change. Because it could have a positive effect, it could have a negative effect, or it could have a neutral effect. You won't know until you only isolate that one element. So that is the first and foremost, most important part of A-B testing, in my opinion, is being able to accurately account for the changes you make. Now, a lot of organizations have no choice but to do radical redesigns because there's pressure from management or the client is saying, okay, we need to do these things really quickly. They simply can't get away from it. So it's is something that a pure data scientist like me has to accept. But the alternative I would stress is to, if at all possible, create what's called a multivariate test. So this is not quite an A-B test. An A-B is A versus B, one versus the other. A multivariate test is looking at multiple variables on the page. So going back to the button color example, you have a red button, you have a blue button, but you can also change the shape of the button. You might want to have a red button with a blue, uh, with a square around it and a blue button with a square around it. You might also want to try the effect of a red button with sort of an oval shape versus a blue button with an oval shape. Now, if you were to do that in an A-B test, you would have to do two A-B tests, red button, blue button, and then button shape and button color. In a multivariate test, you can combine all those variables and the software will enable you to accurately detect what version is the best performing. So a multivariate test is harder to set up and it's more complicated. It requires more data analysis, but the great thing about it is as the testing software is getting more advanced, it becomes easier for marketers to be able to perform these tests accurately. So, so one, of our, one of our challenges is always um, as marketers that, and you, and you talked about it a little bit, time like oh we are running this campaign and uh it's it's a limited time how much how much testing can we really do so Mm -hmm. over what span of time do you sort of get a good representation of you know is the red or blue button better right okay well that actually leads perfectly as a segue into my next point the the second most part important part of a b testing is ensuring that you run your tests for a long enough period of time to ensure that you've gotten accurate results at a strong level of confidence. Now, there's a whole bunch of statistical measures that get tied into this that we're not going to go over because it becomes very complicated very quickly. But the two points that you need to keep in mind is you need to have statistical significance and you need to have a high confidence level. And a statistical significance is tied to P, which is power. Uh, Basically, you want to ensure that your results are valid any time that you were to implement them. And the confidence says that you can say within a certain degree of confidence, usually it's 5%, that these results will hold true over time. So marketers should be running tests that achieve statistical significance at at least I would recommend 90 to 95% confidence, which means over time you are sure that these results are going to hold true and they are accurate. You're not just sort of saying, yes, this is guesswork and hopefully hope and pray it will work. You're saying this is scientific evidence that it is going to work. So again, the testing software fortunately is getting more um, advanced and most testing software, if you go with the standard platforms like VWO, Optimizely, Convert.com, Adobe Test and Target, um, I believe it's now called Adobe Target, uh, they will tell you 
when you've reached statistical significance and at what confidence level. So you can simply look at what they're telling you. Once you've reached 95% confidence or above, you know that you can stop the test. Now for marketers, that's going to happen in various periods of time, depending on how long you're running, uh, depending on how much traffic you have, as well as depending on what kind of test you're running. So if it's an email test and you're sending out a big blast to thousands of people in a day, you might achieve significance in one day. Uh, If you're an e-commerce site and you're selling, let's say, t-shirts and you're getting a couple hundred people a day, you're going to want to run that test longer until you ensure that your sample size is large enough that you've reached a representative sample over a long period of time. In addition to that, it's really important to consider seasonal and weekly factors into your testing. Mm. So if you're a t-shirt company and you know that your analytics data shows you that most of your sales happen on a Saturday because people on the weekend are coming to your site, then you don't want to make assumptions simply on one Saturday of that period of time you're running your test. You'll want to run your test for at least another week to ensure that the same hit trends happen again and that that cycle is repeatable again. So as a result, in general, I recommend that people run their studies for a minimum of two weeks because that gives you the ability to parse out the data over a period of time. You can look at weekends or certain days of the week and ensure those trends continue. Uh, if you run your test for six weeks and you're still not getting significant results, chances are you probably won't. And you can consider stopping your test and saying that nothing happened. There's not valid conclusions after about eight weeks. Now, those are rules of thumb. They greatly depend on your specific situation. But in general, I like to see marketers running tests for at least two weeks. Um, so a question, like what is, what do you mean by significant results? Often we'll run um, a campaign with two different creatives completely and see really not a, not a lot of difference between the two. What are you hoping to see in, in that testing? Uh, well, it will certainly depend on what your KPI or your metric is that you're testing, but let's just go with revenue. That's something that is simple and easy to understand. So Let's say you're hoping to increase revenue by a certain percentage. Uh, A significant result would deem that you have indeed increased your revenue by, let's say, 2% um, at 95% or greater confidence. And depending on the testing software you're using, the software itself will say, yes, you've achieved a strong confidence level and your result is 99%, you know, confidence and significant. And you can be fairly confident based on that, that you're able to implement the result. There are testing calculators that you can use if you want to ensure that your results are indeed valid. Uh, But as I mentioned, the testing software is getting more um, savvy and you you can count on results a little bit more. Do I need, um, like if you're a small business or a small marketer, do you need a data scientist or is this are these programs running like self-serve and, and uh, that, that I guess anyone could understand or most people could understand and, and operate them? Yeah, I would say the standard programs, like I'll use VWO as an example. That's the testing software that I personally use. Um, they have a lot of really smart algorithms that do the heavy lifting and the legwork for you. And so you don't need a data scientist to be able to decode the results as long as you're running the test properly, which means letting it run long enough that you're not interrupting the results and stopping it short. Um, I have some clients I've worked with that they're in a rush. They want to get as many tests done as possible. Budget is 
time and budget is a, of the essence and they say, let's stop the results after a week and implement it. And I'm always really hesitant to do that because one week generally isn't enough time um, depending on your traffic to get significant results. And as I mentioned as well, you're not going through that full cycle. So you can't see how those results are going to hold true over time. But to go back to your question of, can you trust the results within the software? The answer I believe is, is yes. Uh, these programs are done by data scientists and statisticians and people who are way smarter than me. And they know what works with testing and they know the algorithms and the statistical measures to make sure that the results are valid. It's it's fascinating on Guess the Test to see how such tiny changes can make such such a big difference. Um, like just adding, oh, I can't remember what the other one um, that you had just recently, adding, um, oh, something about um, a privacy little note on the bottom of something had, had changed the results dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, are those are those kind of things transferable like once you learn something like oh the red button works better than the blue button now i'm going to put red buttons everywhere or um, do i have to be careful in yeah that's a really great question um and the short answer is absolutely you cannot take what you see on somebody else's website <laughs> and apply it directly to your own However, you can take the ideas and the inspiration and Mm -hmm. test it for yourself and see if it works. So there's a lot of factors that are going to influence the results of your tests and your audience and your website and the way that your audience reacts to your website is going to be the biggest influencing factor. So let's just hypothetically go back to the button color example. Let's say you have a beautiful, nicely branded website and the color scheme is all red. If you have a red button on there, it might not perform as well because it doesn't stand out. And what I found looking at dozens of AB uh, color tests, button color tests, is it's not the button color that matters. It's the brightness and the contrast of the button color. The button really needs to pop from the rest of the page. So if you have a red theme on your website and your button color is red, it's not going to pop. It's not going to be high contrast. All of a sudden, if you change it to blue, boom, it stands out and that button color will work a lot better for you. So you need to take in those kind of factors and considerations when you're looking at other people and what they've done with their tests and what's worked with them. So it's always best to test yourself before applying anything. Uh, But there are some kind of general principles that tend to work and those types of things you can at least use to leverage inspiration for your own testing ideas. So, um, you know, a a, a trust sealer um, looking at if you should include some kind of copy underneath your trust button. Um, It it may work for you. Test the copy, test the placement of it and see how it performs. Um, Your audience is going to be dependent as well as where you put it in your funnel, which is the process that people go through as they go through your website. I'm going to have to ask my entire creative department not to listen to this now because I always have <laughs> broad generalizations about, no, you have to have this or you have to have that. Um, that's interesting. That's, that, that really is interesting. Well, so, one, of, one of the generalizations is you have to have very clear copy and very clear imagery. Um, clarity converts. That's definitely one principle. Uh, confusion does not convert anything that creates hesitation does not convert clarity does convert. So if you're doing things that make things clearer and simpler for the user, that will convert. Well, that's, that's good. That's good advice. Do you, do you find that, or what do you think is best practices? If if there is such a thing, what would you recommend maybe for um, a marketer to be doing with AB testing? Like, um, 
are 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 there hundreds of these happening all the time on your website or or are there you know is there a point where you just go yep it's all good um i i think you can never actually stop testing you can always continually optimize and i've seen some great examples of companies that have continually optimized they've taken a test result where they've gotten a huge win, let's say a 500% conversion uplift. And they say, all right, this is awesome. We're going to go home and party that day, but we're going to come back to the office the next day and we're going to make this even better. And by iteratively making those optimization changes, you can take a 500% uplift and turn it to a thousand percent uplift. So continual optimization on places where you're seeing strong performance can really, really help you. Um, in terms of where you should be testing, I think it's really, really important to plan and prioritize your tests for where you will get the biggest bang for your buck. Now, that's going to be dependent on everybody's website and your conversion funnel. My suggestion is to start, look at the place where you're performing best. And that sounds counterintuitive, but look where you're performing best and find ways to optimize that even more. Um, you can also, what another approach is to look at the places where you're performing the worst and start with those and optimize it so that you can really get the conversions going up. But it's a slower process and you're going to see a lot less gains that way. Uh, another approach is to start at the back of the funnel and work your way backwards. So the end of the funnel for most people is a thank you page after a person has made a purchase. Customers are far more likely to purchase from you again if they've already purchased once. So use that thank you or that receipt confirmation letter that you're sending that's an automated thank you message and really make it personal. Give a good deal to them. Get them wanting to come back and purchase from you again. So look at ways to optimize that process and then go backwards through your funnel. So um, when I'm when I'm uh, just get, getting back to guess the test, when I go to your site, um, what is the intent? Am I to be there to learn or is it to submit my own tests or maybe tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, there's many different angles. Uh, one, I, I want people to be coming to learn. That's the for, first and foremost objective is to learn, to get inspiration for their own testing ideas, to come away feeling like they're you know that much smarter, that much more knowledgeable in a certain area of testing. Um, in order to make Guess the Test run and be a sustainable site, I certainly do need test submissions from people. So anyone who would like to see their test featured on Guess the Test is welcome to submit to me. And all feature tests get really good publicity. So it's a great way to get your brand out there. Um, and as well, uh, I want people to be part of a community. I want to join digital marketers together who are specialized in this niche area of digital marketing that people are learning about, but mainstream certainly doesn't know about, and to be able to talk about it with other marketers, with their peers. Because I know at the end of the day, when I talk with my husband about conversion rate optimization, he'll listen for about five minutes and then <laughs> his eyes start to roll back in his head. Not um, again. I, I love to talk about it and I want to provide the opportunity to other people as well to talk about it. So that's why there's interactive webinars where people can chat and ask questions and bounce ideas off each other uh, in the Next couple of weeks, the site is going to have a forum where people can go and discuss ideas with each other. So it really is a community. It's a community for CRO people, A-B testers, UX specialists, and digital marketers in general. As a conversion expert, what do you see that just makes you cringe that people are doing? <laughs> well, there's a lot. Um, 
I suspect there is, yeah. <laughs> I would have to say one thing that I see over and over and over again, two things actually, that I just shake my head at and go, oh God, why, <laughs> why are people still doing this in this day and age? Uh, the two things are sliders in their, so I'll, I'll explain what that is. Let me kind of use, get the jargon out there. Yeah. So your hero image is the main image that people see as soon as they land on your site. Most websites have one. Um, a lot of times, instead of having a static hero image, people will put a slider, which kind of scrolls back and forth and shows... Like a carousel a, above... Yeah, image images. carousel is another name for that. Yeah. Uh, those consistently, I've done a meta-analysis on, on sliders, looking at studies from 2009 to present. I have not seen one image carousel that converts better than a static image. Static images always win. People simply do not click through the slider. Uh, They're a nuisance for people on mobile because it's, you know, obstructing your view. Um, So how do you tell clients who go, well, I want seven things featured on my home? And and this is exactly the problem. They're great to appease clients who want to feature seven things, who want to have many products or services that they want to feature. They're great for stakeholders that say, well, I need my image here and I need this here. Uh, They're great for designers because they make the job really easy, but they are not great for your users and they're not going to convert well. So it's tough. It's a tough conversation to have with your client, but you show them the evidence. I can share my meta-analysis with you and you can go back to them and say, look, if you really want your website to perform well, we need to change this element or we need to at least test it. Um, I I wouldn't recommend changing anything before testing it, but this is an important test we need to run for you. Uh, We need to say if it makes a difference or not. And then if it does make a difference, we need to change it for you. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Okay. Um, The second thing that really makes me cringe is when people don't have a call to action button within their hero image. So the hero image is the first thing that people see when they come to your website. There's some research that shows people make an impression of a website in 0.4 milliseconds. That's not a lot of time to capture your audience. So you really want to be putting your best foot forward and make a really strong first impression. The hero image does that for you. It sets the tone. It sets kind of the vibe of the website, the look and feel of it. And People, a lot of people may not scroll further than your hero image if you kind of lose their interest right away. So you want to be able to capture them in a very strong, compelling call to action. And by putting a call to action button on your hero image, you're grabbing those people either who right away come to your website and know what they want to do or who are very ho-hum and not sure what they want to do and need some kind of persuasion and some... Some, uh, you know, something that will capture them. Does it matter um, what type of call to action? Or I guess that may be something that you'd want to test as well. It's definitely something you want to test, but a clear, compelling uh, call to action that expresses benefit for the user is a principle that I have found works best. Know what that specifically means for you. Uh, it's going to have to be tested. Wording is going to have to be finessed. Button color is going to have to be finessed. Um, the copy is going to have to be thought of. Um, but one one element that you should consider when you're looking at the copy is if it's what I call low friction versus high friction. So a low friction button copy would mean something that's very easy for the user to get into. It's not asking them for something 
big right away. Let's say you're an e-commerce site selling phone plan subscriptions. If you're saying order now as the very first thing customers see when they come to your website, it's very off-putting. It's like going on a first date and saying, will you marry me? It's mm-hmm. like, whoa, wait, this is way too much. I'm not ready for this. Um, so that would be a very high friction. Would asking for an email address be high friction right off the top? Um, it it could be, mm-hmm. but I do see a lot of marketers use it. Um, I presume they've tested and I presume that it works for them. It really depends on your audience and how much exposure that they've had to your website beforehand. So if they have watched a video of you and that video leads them to your homepage where you're asking them to sign up for something where you're and you have a big email address input field uh, that could work well because they've already established a little bit of trust and credibility with you and they feel comfortable and now they're ready to get your services. If they haven't had any prior exposure and they're coming to your website cold and you're saying sign up, um, you better have a pretty compelling reason for that person to sign up. If you're saying you're going to give them a free report with uh, you know valuable SEO information or something like that, People may be willing to sign up, but it would be worth certainly testing to see if that is indeed the best approach. But all that to say, it's important to look at the previous steps in your funnel before that person lands on your homepage, uh, looking at your traffic, how it's arriving at your page, and what has prompted traffic to come to your page in the first place. Um, and and um, just... Uh, 30 minutes went by so fast, Deborah. Can you tell me... And I um, still haven't told you all the things that's important about A-B testing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I have so many questions. Um, it, it, are you or uh, is Guess the Test a service people can uh, subscribe to? Or is there, um, a, you know, a, um, I guess a a monetized part of this? Yeah. So in the coming weeks, you're going to see that. You're going to be able to become a pro member. And what that means, you're going to have a number of different benefits, but you're going to have access to the full testing library uh, so that you yourself can look at different tests and draw conclusions and get inspiration for your own testing ideas. You're also going to have access to all the articles, interviews, and resources. Those are primarily going to be only for pro members. Uh, You're going to have the ability to see personalized poll results. So when you you take an A-B test, uh, it's going to be counting for you how many you get right and how many you get <laughs> And there's going to be rewards integrated with that. Um, and as well as a special bonus for the first 100 people who sign up to become a pro member, you get a personal conversion audit from me, from the convert expert, looking at your website and recommending the top things that you should be testing or changing to improve conversions on your own site. So there's a lot of benefits to becoming a pro member. That's going to be rolled out in the next couple of weeks. The site launched about uh, maybe a month and a half ago, and it's sort of iteratively building up to the stage. Oh, it's really cool. And I, or I encourage people to, to, uh, to have a look at it. So Deborah, the, my, this podcast is called Lessons Learned in Marketing. And I always ask, um, what is your... Uh, over the last little while, I guess, what is a key lesson that you've learned in marketing? Um, well, with, with launching my own site and going through the trials and tribulations of that, uh, it really is persistence um, and really iteratively trying 
many, many different approaches and seeing what works. Um, I think life can be an A-B test if you frame it that way. (laughs) And um, looking at what works and what doesn't with your audience and continually trying to optimize that. Uh, For me, my challenge right now is I'm sending out emails. I want to increase my open rate. I want to increase my click-through rate. I'm continually trying different metrics to to do so. Um, But what I've really learned in that process is that it is a very slow and very iterative process. So you need a lot of patience and a lot of persistence. Um, if you want to, for example, in an email, be changing the send field, uh, the time of day, the day that you're sending it, um, and the copy all at the same time, you're going to have no idea what actually works. Right. So one week you need to look at what time you're sending it. Another week you need to look at what day you're sending it. Another day you need to look at the send address and who it's coming from and see if any of those things make a difference. Um, so slow, persistent, iterative, ongoing optimization is my advice. <laughs> What is the, um, what is just, uh, just to extend a little bit, what is kind of typically uh, your approach to testing, like running one or two at a time on a particular thing, like when you do yeah. the red and blue button? That, that was something that I meant to m- mention as a testing best practice. So uh, it's really important that when you are running a test, that you're running one test on one specific part of your website. So if you have a test, let's say, on your homepage, and then you have a test a little bit further down your funnel, let's say, on your product page, you could have confounding variables because you're changing something on your homepage and also changing something on your product page. And so you want to make sure that if you are doing that, that you're able to very clearly cleanly parse out the results, or if you have the opportunity and the time to just run one test at a time. And that's part of what makes testing slow and kind of agonizing and painstaking mm-hmm. because you want to implement so many things at one time. Um, but it, it, it really mucks the results up and you're not able to clearly understand what change is affecting what if you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so ensuring that different steps of the funnel are clean and not impacting each other. Uh, The same thing is true if you're a large corporation and you have an insurance division and an auto division and you're looking at uh, different division websites and you want to make sure that one website is not affecting the other if you're running multiple tests at the same time. So having that communication with your colleague, if you're, let's say, a large overseas organization that has multiple sites and stakeholders, um, really being clean with your test and having the patience to be able to do so. Yeah, patience. I got to work on that part. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the one really positive thing that is developing, it's not quite there yet, but there's companies like Sentient AI that have artificial intelligence engines that are running the A-B tests, and they enable you to run multiple tests and multiple factors all at once. And the artificial intelligence is the engine behind what's, you know, figuring out the data and the trends. So I would recommend looking into Sentient AI if that's something that you want to be doing to run multiple tests and get multiple results at the same time. Um, In the future, I'd say in the next three to five years, that simply is going to be the way tests are run. It's not uh, going to be this slow process anymore. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. Well, Deborah, I'm so glad that I connected with you or actually you reached out to me and connected and uh, I could talk to you for hours. So this has been really great and I look forward to, uh, to talking to you more. How can Definitely. people, um, get a hold of you or, or find you. Or sure, well, guess, I'm, I'm always on Guess the Test, so that's www.guess, G-U-E-S-S, the, 
T-H-E, test, T-E-S-T dot com. Or they can email me directly at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, at guessthetest.com as well, or find me on LinkedIn. So there's many ways to get a hold of me, and I look forward to speaking with anyone who'd like to connect. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's the show this week. Thanks so much for listening. And here's a giant P.S. You know, I met Deborah through LinkedIn, and um, she reached out to me in what I thought was a really neat way. Not just the usual LinkedIn invitation where you go, hey, um, I'd like to connect with you. But she put a personal note uh, saying that we had some shared con- uh, contacts and a little bit about herself. And I really, um, right away, realized the value that I could get from this connection and reached back out to Deborah and, and uh, we had a little email conversation. It's just kind of a plug or I, I guess um, an example of how good it can be to add that little extra to your LinkedIn invites when someone invites you to or when you want to invite someone to LinkedIn, tell them a little bit about yourself and don't just use the standard LinkedIn invitation. There you go. A lesson learned, a bonus lesson learned. Thanks for listening and talk to you again soon.